listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. So we've been looking this January. But by the way, visitors, if you're here for the first time, or if you hadn't been in a while, I just want you to know how thankful we are. You should have got a connection card if it was your first week in. If, if you've come and you've never gotten a connection card, make sure you ask one of those for one of those. There are some actually on the, the informational board back there. We just love to be able to get your name and email and get you on our email list so that you know what's going on. We'd be able to encourage you and, uh, and hopefully be able to entice you to come back and be with us again if you don't already have another church that you're uh, frequently attending. So welcome. We're glad you're here. And so for the month of January, we've been kind of doing a little character study series, looking at some different characters. And instead of saying that we're going to uh, identify some New Year's resolutions, we've just been focusing in on some New Year reminders. Some things that we can learn from some characters in both Old and New Testament, ways that God used them. Certainly, we're not lifting them up and and praising them. We're just seeing how God used them through their obedience in their life. And we're saying, you know what? We We can strive after the same things that these individuals have done before us. We looked the first week at the character of Caleb found in the Old Testament. Back when Israel came into the promised land or actually Actually, when they missed their opportunity to come into the promised land, Caleb was one of the only individuals in the nation who wholly followed the Lord. He believed what God said, and he believed that they could accomplish what God said they could accomplish. Unfortunately, there were only two guys that believed that, Caleb and Joshua. And so he had to wait with the rest of the people of Israel for another 38 years, total of 40, before they would get an opportunity to go back into that promised land, and that they did. And Caleb, even as an old man, wholly following the Lord, charged up the hills of Hebron to run out the giants that had frightened everyone four decades earlier. We encouraged one another to wholly follow the Lord, not partially, wholly. The next week, we looked at an Old Testament character that's only mentioned in one place, the book of 1 Chronicles. His name is Jabez, who interestingly enough, his name means pain, suffering, uh, anguish. What a name for a guy. And yet, that was the expectation of this man's life, but he turned his heart to the Lord and he prayed earnestly that number one, God would bless him. God would pour out his presence in his life. And number two, that God would give him more opportunity to serve him. And the third thing he says is, God, with this opportunity, I want your hand to remain on me, on my life, so that, that you will guide me and strengthen me and prepare me for that, that you'll give me the opportunity to do in obedience to do. And then lastly, Lord, I want you to keep me from that path that will ultimately lead to my suffering and pain and difficulty. I'll be, I'll be drawn that way, but God, I want you to keep me from that. And from that prayer, we encouraged one another to ask God for more. It's fair to say, God, I want, I want more of you, and, and I want more opportunity, and, and, and I want you to lead me, and I want you to keep me from sin and keep me from the path that would lead to pain. Last week, we looked at a couple of guys, one by the name of Philemon, a slave owner, the other by the name of Onesimus, 
a slave of Philemon. Onesimus had been absent without permission. But in his absence, he ran into a gentleman by the name of Paul, who his owner Philemon knew and actually had come to faith in Jesus through Paul's ministry. Philemon also became a follower of Jesus. Because it was the right thing to do, Paul sent him back to his master to own his transgression. He sent him home to own his sin and to honestly and and respectfully receive whatever repercussions so that that relationship might be restored. And at the very same time, Paul encouraged Philemon, the one who had been wronged, to see this man not as a slave, not as a bondservant, but as a brother. And to offer forgiveness so that he too might be a champion of restoration. And we encouraged one another to consider those that we've hurt. And go to them with an honest and genuine apology. One that doesn't make excuses and one that doesn't justify their action. But just simply says, I'm sorry. And then those that have been harmed. Those that have been wronged. Whether they come to you or not, we encourage you to offer the forgiveness that God through Christ has offered you in far, far more abundance than you'll ever offer to anyone who has hurt you. So we encouraged one another to restore the fellowship that has been broken so that God's work might be accomplished effectively as he intends. Today we're actually going to encourage one another to be an encouragement I'm sure there's somebody in your life, maybe there's multiple folks in your life that that when I would ask the question, who has been a true encouragement to you in your walk with Jesus or in your marriage or in your way of thinking about how you go to work and do your job? Who is it in your life that has been a tremendous encouragement to you? You may think of several folks. Fortunately for me, I had the opportunity anywhere we were in church, whether it was growing up in the church that my family attended all my life and still to this day, or or whether it was in in the the church that my wife attended, that if I was going to marry her, that's where I was going to go. And and, and the church that we attended together in Dallas, Texas, when we were away from from everyone. And and the the pastors that have surrounded me in other types of, of, of ministry opportunity. Those individuals, I've always had the chance to just be close to them. And I could name you pastor after pastor after pastor that has just been a huge encouragement because of their life because of their choices because of the way that they poured into me have been a monstrous encouragement today we're going to look at a new testament character whose name was given to him by the apostles the apostles changed his name wouldn't that be fun if you were to come and say hey i want to be a part of of oasis church and we were to say well great chad but your name's no longer going to be chad it's going to be billy we think of you as billy so you're going to be billy from now on you're like okay this place is weird but the apostles had a reason for changing this individual's name his name is barnabas we're going to look at how he was a genuine encouragement Remind each other of us that we too can live to encourage. We're going to be all over the book of Acts this morning. We're going to start off in the book of Acts chapter number 4. We're going to pick up reading in verse number 36. 
What's happening in Acts 4.36 is that the believers are multiplying. Folks are coming to Christ. They're gathering together. They're from all different social spectrum ends and everything in between. Some folks have much. Many people have little. And we're discovering that this, this new body of followers of Jesus are, are beginning to share and, and to, to offer their, their homes and their food and their, their extras to those that are in need. It's a beautiful thing. They're, they're seeing one another no longer as, as separate entities, but as a body intermingled and intertwined because of their faith in Jesus. And we discover here that thus, Joseph was this fellow's name, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, because this means son of encouragement. Well, why are they calling Joseph Barnabas? Because he is like the son of encouragement. He's encouraging everyone he comes into contact with. And the apostles recognize it and they just see it over and over again. And they just say, you know what? We're just going to start calling you encouragement. We're going to start calling you Barnabas. Look what Barnish, or look more about who Barnabas is. He's a Levite, meaning he is a Jew of the tribe of Levi. He is a native of Cyprus. Well, that's an island off the coast of, of, of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea. So he's not lived all of his life in the, the, the mainland of Israel. He's been raised in Cyprus. But now he's there in Jerusalem as a follower of Jesus. Verse number 37 says that he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's look at about five different ways that, that, that by Barnabas being obedient to the life and the word of Jesus, he became an encouragement to others. The, the first way we see right here is through his sacrificial investment for those that were in need. What did he do? He went and took the deed of a piece of land that belonged to him. Probably this piece of land was passed down from family to family. Now it belonged to him. This piece of land represented his security. It represented opportunity. It represented a place that he could put a tent on if he ever became homeless or, or needed a place to be. That was his property. And he went and sold it which was not out of the ordinary because people bought and sold property all the time just like they do now what was unique about Barnabas is that he saw in that property something less valuable to him than the lives of his brothers and sisters in need so he sold the property took the money and gave it to the apostles you know, so Barnabas didn't say, now, Peter, John, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this money. I want you to give part of it to these folks. And I want you to give part of it to those, folks, which would have been okay. But what he did was he brought those monies and just laid them at the feet of the apostles and said, whoever needs it, it's there for them. You know what? You know what Barnabas was doing? Barnabas was trusting the Lord that he wasn't going to need that. 
Now, now good stewardship and, and, and wise financial dealings is, is going to say you, you need to have a nest egg and you need to, you need to have savings. And, and, and you know what? That's still true today. You read the Proverbs and you're going to discover that a wise person saves some along and, and, and prepares for days of difficulty. Except when God says, trust me. Except when God says, I don't want you to hold on to that much. I want you to trust me, and I want you to sell that. And Barnabas went and did obediently, letting go of what was rightfully his so that he could provide for the needs of others. You see, we don't, we don't praise Barnabas because all Barnabas was doing was following the lead of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 7, it tells us that, that Jesus set aside all that was rightfully his so that he could step into humanity and do for us what only he could do. Meeting a need that only he could meet. Barnabas encouraged the body by sacrificial investment. Not only that, we continue reading. We move on to Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9, verses 26 and 27, gives us another opportunity that, uh, that, that, that Barnabas had, had uniquely encouraged. So what has happened in chapter number 9 is that this fellow by the name of Saul, basically a Jewish terrorist is what Saul was. Saul, Saul was like Jewish Al-Qaeda. What was happening is that there were people in, 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 the, in the body, in, in, the, in the people of, uh, of the Jews, that were believing in this Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified by the Romans for claiming to have a unique connection to God, for claiming to be the king of the Jews, for claiming to be Messiah, the Romans put him to death. And there's some folks around here that are, are saying that he has risen from the dead. And those folks are gathering together, and we've got to put a stop to that. So this individual by the name of Saul had letters from the chief priest and the elders to go wherever he needed to go and stomp out this new faith of this one called Jesus, the, the faith they were calling the way, the way of Jesus. And so on his way to a particular city in chapter number 9, this individual Saul actually came into personal contact with the risen Jesus. The, the one that he was trying to shut them up about actually blinded him on this road, knocking him off his animal and bringing him into total and complete submission. To the point where this man said, Saul, Saul says, what would you have me do, Lord? Who are you and what do you want from me? And he says, well, I'm going to tell you who my name is. My name is Jesus. I'm the one who's persecuting you and you'd do well not to fight against me because you'll never win. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take yourself down to a place and wait on a man to show up, and he'll tell you what you're supposed to do for me. And miraculously, this terrorist, one called Saul, who was doing to the people then what the folks are doing to the people in Mali who claim the name of Jesus, was radically and miraculously brought to faith in Jesus. Now, Word begins to spread that this terrorist who's out to get us all is now one of us. And you can imagine the chatter that's going around the Christian community. 
Uh, y'all, y'all heard what I heard about, about Saul the terrorist? How he's supposed to be one of us? Yeah, I don't know about that. And, and, and we hear about Saul coming to Jerusalem where he wants to meet up with the brothers. And the brothers are like, you know, I get what's happening here. He's saying he wants to meet up with us so he can get us all in one place. So he can arrest us all and take us all to prison or put us all to death. We see what's happening. And so they were avoiding this one named Saul. Acts chapter 9 Verse number 26 says, And when he, Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. From that point on, Saul went in and out amongst the brethren, and folks were, okay, what, what do we see Barnabas doing here? We see him encouraging through his unusual intercession. It was an, it was an unusual intercession because nobody trusted Paul. Nobody believed what he was saying. And yet Barnabas said, come on with me. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to walk with you. Barnabas stood up with Saul's authentic conversion. And he stood up and called his brothers to embrace him as a follower of Jesus. You know, sometimes as a follower of Jesus, you run into contact with folks that are kind of going a strange different, you know, they're going the same direction, but they walk a little funny. Well, a little funny, and I don't mean like how they walk, but I mean their approach is a little odd, a little off-putting. One of the most encouraging things we can do is hone in on the person's faith and discover whether or not they are truly a follower of Jesus. And if they are, go out of our way to bring them close so that we might stand with them and walk with them and invite those who don't have a problem with us to come and embrace our new brother or our new sister. You know, I think uh, Barnabas knew that that's the role that Christ plays for us. Now, in this particular situation, the words that I'm going to refer to had not been written yet. Because the one that was going to write these words by the inspiration of God was the one he was standing with. But, but several years later, this Paul, this Saul that had been converted in Romans chapter number 8, verses 26, 27, and 34, identifies both Jesus and the Holy Spirit who stand as our intercessor between God and man that we've got the son of God who intercedes between all of us who are incredible weirdos in comparison to the holiness of who God is and yet we have God the son those of us who know him by faith who lovingly intercedes who willingly stands with us and for us We look like Jesus when we come alongside our brothers and sisters and draw them in, those that are on the outside.
We encourage one another when we exercise unusual intercession. But the story moves on. Barnabas just kept encouraging. In Acts chapter number 11, verses 19 through 24, let me tell you what started happening. There was a, a church that had been started or, or, or a bunch of Jews that out of, out of persecution had gone north to a city called Antioch. And in Antioch, the Jews were, were communicating about Jesus to one another. And there came some men from Cyprus who were not Jews and began to listen to and began to uh, embrace this message about Jesus. But the problem is they're not one of us. They're Gentiles. They're not of the people of Israel. What are we going to do about this? So from Jerusalem, the apostles picked Barnabas to go. Now those who were scattered, verse 19 of verse, uh, chapter 11... Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, on, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, the, the Gentiles also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord." The report of this came back to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they're thinking, what in the world is happening? And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God and was glad. And he exhorted, he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas was an encouragement because of his willingness to serve. What Barnabas probably could have said when the church came to him and said, hey, look, We've got a long way between us and Antioch. We need somebody to take that journey. We need somebody to put their life on hold and go north to Antioch to check out what in the world is going on. We're here that Gentiles are believing in Jesus. We weren't expecting that. We didn't know this was going to happen. We need to make sure this is not out of order. So Barnabas, would you put your life and everything you've got on hold and jump in a, in a wagon or, or gather yourself a few folks and, and, and take a, a several-day trip north, a dangerous trip at that, to check it out. It seems like Barnabas said, I'd love to. I'll be happy to. Barnabas was willing to serve the gospel mission in whatever way and wherever he was needed. Isn't it an encouragement when you can turn and you know that there's somebody that you can count on and they're there and ready to do what is needed to the best of their ability no matter what time of day, no matter where they've got to go. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that an encouragement? Well, it didn't stop there. Barnabas went north to Antioch and the thing was happening. It was so excited that he stayed there. If we kept reading on, we would learn that that. He ended up going and finding this one Saul 
who's going to be start called Paul, he goes and finds him and brings him because the work is so exciting and the need is so great. He goes and finds this new brother to begin helping to preach and disciple there in Antioch. And as all this was going on and as, as success was happening in the church, the church was growing, it was, it was blowing, it was just it was amazing everyone, God decided to shake things up. Acts chapter number 13, verse number 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they were worshiping the Lord and fasting when the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You know where they sent them off to? A boat to sail back to Cyprus. Well, he's going back to his hometown for a minute to talk about Christ and to invite those to come to faith. And then they get on a boat again and go north up into Asia Minor and are going to be going all around the arena of Galatia, Lysenia. They're going all places where the gospel has not yet gone, living wherever they can live, working when they need extra money, away from family, away from home. For what purpose? Very simple. The gospel. To those who've not yet heard, they were following the command of our Lord. Who also there in Philippians chapter number 2 verse 8 was willing to do whatever was needed wherever that was. He set aside what was rightly his so that he might step into our world and ultimately go so far in the gospel that he might lay down his life, holding nothing back, becoming obedient unto death. Barnabas, just obeying the example of Christ before him, was an encouragement because of his willingness to serve, willingness to go for the gospel no matter where it was, no matter what the need. But the story goes on. In Acts chapter number 15, the first two verses, we find that, that after this journey that they took, they came back to the city of Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, and they were telling the brothers about had, what all had happened while they had been gone. And if you read chapters 13 and 14, you're going to discover that a whole lot of crazy things happened while they were gone. A whole lot of very exciting things happened, and, and some that might would frighten you. But they made it by God's grace back home with the report of all that God was doing. And the brothers were so excited because they're hearing that more and more Gentiles are coming to faith. More and more that had never even heard of the, 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 the Jewish understanding of who God is. They're believing and coming to faith in Jesus. This is amazing how the gospel is transforming in places we never would have imagined. And right in the middle of all their excitement... Some of the more conservative Jews stood up and said, uh, we've got a problem. 
The problem is, is that now all of these Gentiles are coming into the faith. But they're not following the laws and regulations that have been given to us. We believe that they need to be held responsible for following the law. And there were some several things that needed to be done, some minor surgeries and some other things that involved their dietary practices. And, and, and so we need them to do these things. And Barnabas and Paul, some of them came down from Judea, teaching brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Look at verse number two. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension the writer here Luke don't you love the way he wrote that he didn't say that uh, that Paul and Barnabas stood up and told them what for he could have but he said they had no no small dissension no this was a big dissension this was a large dissension and debate with them and Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question Barnabas, along with now Paul, encouraged the body by defending the truth. They were an encouragement as, as folks were wondering, well, sh should, should they have to do this? I, I, I wonder if what they're saying is right or wrong. Barnabas and Saul said, hey, y'all listen to this. Salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone. Plus nothing, minus nothing. We're not going to tell these folks that they got to do something that Christ never required of them. You come to faith believing. Jew or Gentile, by faith alone and Jesus alone. And some of the folks said, y'all want to go down to Jerusalem and just verify that with the apostles? If that's what it'll take, pack a bag, let's go. And that's exactly what they did. In Acts chapter number 15, they went back to the apostles the apostles scratched their head a little bit and then came to the conclusion that, no, you guys are right. It's only faith in Jesus. Now, now make sure that, that they go back and, 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 and make sure you tell everybody that, listen, it would be consistent with the faith to be morally pure, okay? So honor your marriage vows and, 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 and don't be, you know, uh, don't, don't be active in ways that, that somebody not married should. So do that and then don't eat the meat that still has blood in it because that's just gross and that's uh, idolic practice. So let's just don't do that. Other than that, faith alone, Christ alone. Don't be doing things that will confuse. And I just imagine Barnabas and Paul coming back to Antioch. Hey, I got a little paper. Y'all need to read. I told y'all faith alone and Christ alone. Now y'all sit down and quit trying to put these obligations on people. And it encourages, doesn't it encourage you when you've got a question or something is brewing and you're wondering whether it's true or not and God uses somebody to say, uh-uh-uh, let me, let me show you this right here. And they take God's word and they show you exactly what God says. It gives you the confidence to be able to go, okay, that's what I was wondering. Now I can go back to work and I don't have to worry. I can say, no, nope, that's not the way it is. And here's what God's word says. I, I can't make you do, but here's what I'm going to think. Here's what I'm going to believe. And I'm encouraged because somebody stood up and defended the truth. You know, you could be that as well. The more you study, the more you learn, the more you understand.
You know, Jesus is the ultimate defender of truth. Because he says in John chapter number 14, verse 6, that I'm not only the way, but I'm also the truth. And I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus was anything, he was a defender of God's truth. And if anyone knew God's truth, it was Jesus because he, in fact, is God the Son. But a little later on, we discover, or actually a little earlier in that book, we discover that not only was Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, we learn up front that Jesus was full of truth, yes, but grace and truth. So he wasn't a belligerent defender of truth. He was a gracious and kind and loving teller of what is right. Even though that might make you mad, still the truth. Barnabas was an encouragement to the body because he defended the truth. But then the last time we run into Barnabas in this story in, in the book of Acts, it kind of it ends on a little bit of a sour note for him. But it's in the same chapter, in around verse number 36. So, so after they settle this argument about what Gentiles need to do to be a follower of Jesus, and we discover just by faith, trust in Jesus crucified and risen, and, you know, don't confuse folks with your morals and don't eat meat with blood in it. That's just too weird. Come time. Hey, guys, let's go out on another journey. It tells us in verse number 36 of chapter 15, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Well, that makes sense. Paul's saying, hey, let, let's go back where we went on our first journey and let's check on those churches. You know, there's no Facebook. There's no, no cell phones. There's, there's no texting, obviously. And it took forever for letters. They were very expensive to write in the first place. It took forever for word to get back and forth. So let's go check on everybody and see how the brothers and sisters are doing. And Barnabas was excited about that. Verse number 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take uh, with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You're like, well, what's going on here? Who's this fella, John Mark? Well, let me tell you. In chapter number 13, when the Holy Spirit said, set these two apart so that they can take the gospel, and they did, and they took it on a boat to the island of Cyprus and then up north into Galatia and Lysenia and all of these places where they took. They took with them Barnabas' cousin, whose name was John Mark. The reason we know that John Mark was Barnabas' cousin is because in Colossians chapter number 4, Paul identifies him as his cousin. So it makes sense that Barnabas said, hey, John Mark, you want to go with us? John Mark says, sure, I'll go. They hadn't been gone very long and things started getting difficult. John Mark kicking around, looking around, thinking about where he could be, said, I got to go. And he abandoned them and went back home. Well, now Barnabas, I'm sure, was disappointed. That made Paul mad. 
Oh, we brought you along. We was counting on you to be here, and now you're bolting on us. You're going back home. Yeah, we'd all like to be back home, but the work is here, man. You, what? Oh, boy, that John Mark. Well, now it's time to go back. We see Barnabas committed to restoration. We see Barnabas committed to giving this young guy another shot. I'm thinking that probably throughout this time somewhere, Barnabas and John Mark had had a conversation in which John Mark said, Man, I am. I was such an idiot to do that. It was such a bad thing for me to do. If I had it to go over again, I am so sorry. I wish I'd have never abandoned you guys. And I'm just imagining this conversation happened. And, and Barnabas probably said, well, there'll be other opportunities. Well, now another opportunity presented itself. And Barnabas said, uh, hey, come on and uh, go with us, John Mark. Paul, by the way, let's bring John Mark back with us on this journey. And Paul says... No way. Not that clown. Where's he going to leave us next? Where are we going to be? going to jump off the ship. I'm going to have to swim after him. No way is that fool going with us. Look what Luke says in verse number 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Who are they? Paul and Barnabas. Now, when it says sharp disagreement, now my imagination says that the verbal fight turned into a shoving match that ended up outside two dudes rolling around beating up on one another. Bottom line is, is that they had words, and they were sharp words over this one John Mark. And I think Barnabas had the wherewithal to say, whoa, whoa, time out. I'll tell you what, do. Paul, you go do, and I'll go do, but I, I'm going to take John Mark to be with me. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, Strong disagreement. Splits up the two. But in the split, what do we see Barnabas doing similar to the way he stood with Paul earlier? Well, now he's standing with the one who had blown it. And he's looking at him and says, I, listen, I know Paul doesn't trust you. But I'll take you with me. I, I, I know you blew it. And you know what? Maybe... Maybe he'll come around. Can, can we fast forward a little bit? If you fast forward a little bit, you learn in, in uh, Colossians that John Mark is there with him. You hear in 2 Timothy, Paul saying uh, to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, on your way here, could you stop by and grab John Mark? Um, he's, uh, he's, he'd be useful to me if you could bring him. <laughs> Paul evidently came around. But in the time where everybody was listening to Paul and everyone would have followed his lead, nah, nah that, that joker needs to stay over here and be quiet. Barnabas says, no, no, you're coming with me. Because Barnabas was committed to restoration. Now, maybe that didn't encourage anybody else in the body. In fact, maybe Barnabas' actions in the moment caused everybody to say, 
Barnabas, I don't know what you're doing, man. You're taking a big risk. I think that's the wrong decision. But you know who it was an encouragement to? John Mark. You know who most scholars believe John Mark was ultimately? The writer of the Gospel of Mark, having journeyed with Peter. You think God was done with John Mark? No. And Barnabas had the wherewithal to see it. So while he encouraged that young man in the moment, eventually everyone would have said, no, God really did a work in John Mark. That was a good choice. And Paul, or Barnabas, had the opportunity to look like our Savior, who interestingly enough had one of his own 12 deny him to the point of calling down God's curses on him if he's lying about not knowing who Jesus was in the time of Jesus' greatest trial. And just like Jesus had foretold, the rooster crowed, and Peter ran away weeping because he had denied his Lord that he said he would die for. Just a few days later, we see the risen Jesus on the seashore call out to the folks fishing of which Peter was one hey boys you catch anything no sir we've not caught anything we've been out here all night well why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat and with those words and the stirring of the water with all the fish Peter recognized it's my Lord the one I denied. When Peter got to an audience with Jesus, what he didn't get was a scolding. What he didn't get was a lashing. What he got was a welcome home. Restoring the one who had blown it. Restoring the failure. Restoring the one who thought he'd never be used again. And Barnabas just took Jesus' cue and said, I can do that. Come on, John Mark. And encouraged the brethren. Through sacrificial investment, unusual intercession, willing service, defense of the truth, commitment to restoration. A man by the name of Barnabas was rightly called a son of encouragement. And I believe when we strive to live in obedience to Christ, our lives too will be an encouragement to those around us. So here's what I want you to do. Take this new year reminder that 2023 is about living to encourage. If you know Jesus as Savior, let your life be lived for the purpose of glorifying Christ. And when it does, you will be an encouragement to others. Would others be encouraged by your current financial investment in the kingdom? Could others follow you? And your example of how you are seeing the gospel ministry as more important than the amassing of things? Are others encouraged by the way that you stand for and stand with them in the faith? Strong and willing to bring them in even if they are the one who is a bit strange or odd. Does your faithfulness in service to the gospel ministry encourage others to join the effort 
Do others see you and are encouraged by the part you play and are inspired to say, hey, I want to I wanna be like them as they serve. Are others encouraged by your dedication to biblical truth and to your bold but gracious defense of it? Does your pursuit of fallen brothers and sisters encourage others to value the ministry of restoration that we are all called to? Let's be guilty of being an encouragement, following our Savior and His example for His glory, just doing and saying what He did and said so that others might be encouraged to do the same. Amen? Let's stand together, if you will. With heads bowed, with eyes closed, nobody's looking around. You just do business with God right where you're at. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know which one of those twinged you this morning. Just confess if there's sin. Confess if there's been a a, a void in, in those areas of your life. And ask Him to help you take a step forward. Following the example of our Savior. So that others might be encouraged to do the same. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, know this. God loves you. You need His love. You need what He has provided for you in His forgiveness through the death and resurrection of His Son because you're a sinner and there's not a thing you can do to change it. But He can if by faith and faith alone you'll embrace the one who loved you enough to lay down His life for you. Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your Word. We ask God that it will pierce our hearts and minds that we too will want to be disciples who encourage by the way that we live, following the example, following the commands and the word of your Son, who lived all these things perfectly. We ask that you will draw us to yourself. Father, we ask that you'll help us to see the opportunities that you will lay before us this week, even before we get out of the building and our home the communities that we're most familiar with. Give us the courage to represent you well. We love you. We trust you. First in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.